From multiple streaming locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game decks talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, we're sharing the recording from our local IDGA chapter's most recent online meeting, during which Ellen presented tips for designing learning games. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Okay, before we roll this tape, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, yes. Ellen, you presented uh, at our IDGA meeting, and it was really cool. Tell us about why you did it and, and how that happened. Um, I was asked if I would be interested in presenting. And I said, yes. Oh, okay. And then I thought about what I would present. <laughs> How all great talks start. It's a joke, but I also yeah. like, it's the way that I have to push myself because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can come up with a bazillion things that are comfortable that I could do on a Wednesday night. Um, and so whenever I'm presented with something like an opportunity, when someone's coming to me with an opportunity professional development like to push myself professionally a little bit automatically i've trained myself to just say yes and then freak out later ah, um that's wise instinct it most of the time turns out fine and it was a lot of fun um it was on we did it on twitch so with twitch chat and we streamed it on twitch and um martin was really helpful in getting me set up and everything and it was uh it was a lot of fun there were lots of uh audience participation too which i was a little bit nervous about because i had never done that kind of thing on the twitch platform before um but i think it went really well yeah and so we decided to make it into an episode because uh, i watched it and i was like oh man our listeners need to hear this like it's really (laughs) really good um and i'm not hyping it too much you will agree um but also uh, if you want to see the video of it uh, with ellen's slides um and there's a dog in there right there's a dog at least once. Yeah, so uh, we can promise you that. Uh, that we're going to uh, post the uh, IGGATC um, YouTube video of the presentation, which also includes another presentation, some intro stuff. It's a whole uh, evening. Um, uh, but for Ellen's portion, uh, you are going to hear it right now. What I wanted to talk to you about tonight is um, is learning experience design, kind of through games. Um, so just to, to give you a little bit of background, uh, I my area of expertise and my, the vast majority of my experience is in uh, learning design. So <laughs> the day job, as Martin said earlier, uh, is learning experience design. And that's what I do um, for most of the hours of the day. I've got about 10 years experience doing that. I was a teacher in public school for a while. Um, and for the last three plus years, I would say that I've been kind of games adjacent through Glitch and um, working with Nice Games Club and worked with Stephen McGregor and Mark LaCroix on Widget Satchel. Um, so I'm peripheral, uh, but the, the thing that I think is really cool about being a learning experience designer is that there's a lot of crossover. And so that's kind of where I'm trying to bring those two worlds together um, more and more. And I'm not the only one. It's kind of a, it's a, the industry is kind of blowing up right now. Uh, and we'll talk a, lot, a little bit about that more later. Um, so I would say I'm not a games expert, um, but I do believe that games can teach. And moreover, I think games are a better model for learning than what we've all probably experienced in traditional classrooms. The thing is, it's really hard. It's a hard chasm. It's a hard gap to, to bridge, really. It's a chasm. It's huge. And 
I think part of that is because what Martin was saying earlier about like every time you add more dimensionality to something, you're adding more complexity and the complexity compounds upon itself and makes it even harder. Um, well, adding learning goals to a game experience is one of those compounding factors. It's another dimension. So that's uh, makes it really difficult. And I think that's one of the reasons why lots of learning games are maybe not games we would choose to play if we have alternatives. Um, and it's something that we can keep working on and iterating on. And I think that uh, game developers like this community um, have a lot to offer. So I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about some tips that would make starting the design process for a learning game a little easier for everybody um, and hopefully unleash some of your collective wisdom and expertise onto the learning world. We need you all. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that some people have worked on some learning games. We will be tapping you for stories and expertise as best as you're able to provide them. Um, so today we're going to go through a couple things. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's a learning game and what is it, you know, how does it compare to the term serious games and how does gam gamification fit into all of this? Um, I want to do a really brief overview of kind of the state of the game-based learning industry as it's coming to call itself and what that looks like and where you can find, uh, you know, examples of, of that kind of work. Um, and then we'll get into the tips. So we're going to talk a little bit about like, what does it mean to describe the actions that we want people to take as part of the learning experience or as the result, um, how you kind of take that and make it into a game um, instead of something that just feels like a quiz with extra points added. And then last piece of advice about keeping it short, which I really hope I will continue to follow in my own professional work. Sometimes I'll be a dog. That's gonna happen too. So if you can hear a dog, that's just, that's gonna be there. One second. Dante. We're just gonna, we're gonna talk over him because he's gonna do his own thing. Okay. Uh, so learning game. Um, I want to kind of come at this question from a different angle. So I'm going to lean on you all to use your fingers and you know, type into the Twitch chat. I want to know, just like give us a deluge of ideas. What are some things you've learned from games? Um, which games did you learn them from? And that can be anything. Like it can be academic. It can be, you know, I learned to type from a game. Um, it could be non-academic. It could be facts. But it could also be other things like emotional skills. So <laughs> someone asked to show dog. I will try to show dog later <laughs> in the event. Um, <laughs> uh, Lane, you know that I have real dogs. Learn to pet. Seriously, I feel like we have to get, we have to bring the dog on, and nothing's going to happen. Um, Tell you what, you guys all chat and put some of the ideas for what you learned from games in the chat. And then if that happens, I will bring a dog on screen. Every time we have good audience participation, I'll show you a dog. How about that? <laughs> um, so while you are, yeah, there we go. Troubleshooting and trial and error. Thank you, Carl. Um, probability, great. Uh, I think one of one of my personal examples that um, that I like to bring up here is uh, resilience or like persistence. Um, there's this one game that I absolutely fell in love with. It's called Thoth. I don't know if anyone's played it. It's like a twin stick shooter where you're a shape. I love games where you're a shape, I guess. Um, and it was really hard. It was really hard for me. And it has a really gentle, like 
way of getting you back into the gameplay after you fail, but it was still incredibly difficult to make progress. And I just beat my head against the wall until I no longer felt frustrated when I was failing. Um, and that was, a, I think, a, a learning experience for me. And I've carried that learning experience forward into other games, but also into other environments. Um, so I have found myself being a little more patient because of some pixels that I played with. So what are some other things? Um, we've got learned patience with a game called Weighted Satchel. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, persistence from Mega, Man's and other, Mega Man and the other two hard NES games. Um, plenty of facts about the trip. Yeah. Oregon Trail. That's like one of the classic titles that comes up in these conversations. Strategy logarithms. Um, Realm Grinder. Great. How to save up money instead of spending it all right away. And I'm really curious if that came from a game or came from the, like, the, meta learning around saving up for games. Um, Dark Souls is, yeah, patience and control and timing. Um, <laughs> resource management, okay. I did not learn how to play music from the Miracle Piano Plants. Learning to adapt and improvise. These are, I think these are really great. So I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing some, some patterns here. Some people are talking about facts. Some people are talking about skills. Some people are talking about like really broad ways of thinking, like strategic thinking, um, uh, pattern, patterns of behavior, like learning to save, uh, and so on and so forth. So you guys have earned a dog. I'll see if I can text my husband to ask him to bring in the dog. Give me a second. Hey, Eric. The followers, the viewers have earned a dog. Can you bring a dog in? Oh, he's watching the stream. Hey, Eric, can you bring in the dog? Okay. Dog, dog incoming. Um, okay, so that was great. Thanks, everybody. Um, I think that's that's exactly what I was hoping for. Is like a really broad, um, a really broad kind of range of responses and different things that we've learned from from games. Now I want to kind of have a follow-up question, and I know we'll have at least one person answer in the affirmative. Um, okay, dog, one second. Before you answer this question, brief dog. Dog, hey buddy, you have the you have the mystery machine. Come here, come say hi. Okay, bye, goodbye. There you go. I don't know if that's the first IGDATC dog appearance we've ever had, but um, we'll hopefully get get more of Dante later on this evening. <laughs> uh, okay, so follow up question: Has anyone tried to make a game specifically for learning purposes? And the same things that we just, you know, the th same broad categories apply. So it could be a game that you tried to make to get someone to learn something academic, or um, it could be something that you wanted people to learn, you know, like a skill like financial responsibility or how to deal with a savings account. Or maybe it was about how to invest your money in a 401k or what does it mean to have a mutual fund? Or maybe it means like a game around how does it, how does the presidency work? Lots of, lots of options. So we're going to see some, <laughs> some of the responses on Twitch chat. Um, yeah, first edgy game taught math by playing tic-tac-toe with math problems in it. Yeah. Yes, Microsoft Teals. Um, yeah, that's awesome. 
gameplay to communicate with my six-year-old. Fable 2 taught me to be a real estate mogul. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, some of these, you know, we were talking a little bit ago about like how you learn things from games, even though if they weren't necessarily intended to be uh, learning experiences. But one game that for me was like that was Sim Ant, um, which I think maybe was made with that that goal either like maybe tangentially in mind. Um, but I never looked at ants the same way. I was I would just I would be so excited about seeing the ants and I would wonder what they were doing and were they putting their eggs over here and did they find enough green food balls for the day? You know, it it change it can change your perspective on on the world. Okay. So it's good to know um, that some of you have been doing some game-based learning development. Um, so I think to tie this all together, what I'd like to kind of push us towards is the conclusion that you know all games are learning games. So even if you haven't made a game specifically for the purpose of learning or for a learning outcome, you're going to still have learning in your game. At the very least, players have to learn the game. So there's always going to be learning in the game because the players have to learn the system in order to interact with it. They have to learn the inputs in order to participate. So there's always going to be that aspect of learning in your game. But there might be other um, peripheral learning that happens as well. Okay, so all games include learning. All games include learning beyond the tutorial and gameplay. And I think the reason that happens is because uh, learning is not just a cognitive thing. I think that's a lot of where our focus maybe as a society is on. It's like, you have to learn these facts. You have to learn these cognitive um, skills around studying. But learning is also physical. You have to engage your body. Your body, you know, learning happens physically in your brain. There's a chemical process that happens in order for you to learn something. Um, it's emotional. You are you pay attention to things that emotionally engage you, and you cannot learn if you're not paying attention to something. So, if you are emotionally engaged in something, you're more likely to learn from it. And games pull all of those different aspects of the self in as well. Um, the thing is, I think um, often when we think of games as learning or learning games, when we hear that term, we're thinking of something that's a little more specific, like genres of games for kids or, you know, gamification or math blasters. Um, so when we say, you know, when we say learning games, I think there's an association with like a formal educational purpose. But, that, you know, as we're just saying, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, it's not necessarily the case. Now, <clears throat> to kind of, get us more over into the educational games space. Uh, one thing that keeps coming up when I talk about this with, uh, with folks is like how sometimes educational games can feel out of balance. And they're, the, the phrase that keeps coming up is like, they're light on the game side or they're light on the learning side. And it's hard to get a good balance of those two elements. And if anyone disagrees, I you know definitely talk in the chat. And if you have more to say on that, um, add your message in there and we'll, we'll try to get around to it. But you know, for I think a lot of um, people who have tried to learn through a game, learn something through a game that was intended for learning purposes, it comes, you know, it comes across as like more fun than a lecture, but maybe not as fun as like a real game. Um, and I think that's something that is really difficult 
problem to solve. That's that chasm I was talking about earlier. That's the thing that we want to bridge and it's really difficult to, to bridge. And I think it's a problem you have to solve anew every time you're making a game that's focused on something different. Um, so that's what we're going to kind of dig into a little bit today and see what we can do with it. Okay. I think one of the things then that makes it difficult for us to bridge that gap, and, I, and one of the things we should think about first, you know, when we're trying to jump it, is how like our paradigm and our experiences around learning um, teach us and condition us to think about learning as like a specific thing. I think we're conditioned to think about learning that as something that looks and feels like a classroom or as something that's formal. I think that's changing because there are so many different learning um, you know, formal learning platforms available online. And obviously with the pandemic, everyone's kind of had to switch the way that they're doing it. And it, you know, might be breaking down some of our um, preconceived notions about what it is. But ultimately, most of us learned in a classroom. There was a teacher who ran the classroom and many, many, many more students than there were, were teachers, right? There's one teacher and there's like a couple dozen students. And that's the par that's the dominant paradigm for learning. Um, so our paradigm for what learning is kind of, it, it's built around those expectations, the feelings, like the organization, the patterns of a classroom. Um, that's kind of what shapes our expectations, both explicit and implicit. We might not even be aware of them. So I think when we're trying to come up with, you know, a different kind of learning experience, like something that's a game, it's really tough. And we have to do a paradigm shift. So I, th I think one way that I like to describe it Translation. So we have to kind of, ooh, there was a hiccup there. Oh, we have to translate um, what we need for the learning side into something that can be um, expressed in game mechanics. And if we can successfully translate that, then I think the game mechanics side and actually building the, the, the dynamics and the pillars of a game that feels authentic and feels balanced is a little bit easier. So what we'll do today is we'll kind of try to go through a process. Um, I, I am really curious to hear, though, if any of you have um, experienced kind of this, this idea of games being used for school or work. We talked about a little bit about, you know, things that you've learned from games. I asked you if anyone has uh, tried to build an educational game, but now I want to know um, about your experience as learners instead of necessarily you know, players. Has anyone tried to learn something or been given a game saying, okay, here's your game that you're going to play for work and you're going to learn this from it. Or you're at school, you're going through a classroom and you're going to play this game and you're going to learn something from it. If you've done that, if you've had that experience, I want to know a little bit more about what it was like. Like, was it, was it good? Is this idea of imbalance something that you've had direct experience with? Um, and if not, like, tell us about the game that you think really nailed it. So I will... <laughs> yeah, I will look at the chat and see what you guys come up with. Um, we have one person, one viewer who says, I am in school and I've played so many. I am curious to hear more. If you can give some examples, um, Silent Sky, that would be, that would be great. I mean, um, I was in school a while ago. Obviously, Oregon Trail was one of them. I think I mentioned a typing game earlier. That was, that was another one. Um, and there are a lot more now. So do, 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 do. they are okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> exasperated ellipsis. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read the same thing into that ellipsis um, lane. It's just like it. There's a whole separate conversation around like, can can a game really be what we expect of as a game if you're forced to take it? Um, that might have to be a different talk. I feel like that's a little bit more philosophical than we want to get tonight. But um, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those games from like circa 2000 that are running on Flash or you know, for a little bit longer at least. Uh, and that, when I think about those, that's, that's where that idea about imbalance comes in for me. It's, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're obviously made for a purpose and they're not necessarily authentically or inherently engaging. Um, so abstract puzzle says one of my favorites doesn't count as something I learned because I already knew them, but this game teaches it. Nice. Yeah. And Elena, I think that's a really good point too. Like we're gonna, I'm going to bring up some screenshots of examples of digital games, but that the principles hold, you know, hold true for physical games as well. And I think that that can sometimes even be more effective, just depending on what you're trying to teach. You know, if if you are trying to teach um, something with social interaction, and you don't want to build multiplayer into your digital game, um, you don't have to. And yeah, there's a lot going on for science. Um, and there's a lot, I think, that, that takes existing games and then puts a framework around them so that they can be used for education. Minecraft is one, um, Portal is another. Um, we won't necessarily get into those too much today, but yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that a lot of you have, have had experiences where you've been given a game as part of a formal education or training experience. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, this is really cool. So Abstract Puzzle said something that is really pertinent because this is one of the things that I want to workshop with you all this after or this evening. Um, so Abstract Puzzle said, I have a friend who made a card game for his work. He's the head of a large company's computer security. So every new hire plays this card game to learn about the security practices. I really like that. That's kind of cool. 
an alien game for leadership development, but it didn't feel like learning from play. Yeah, that's that gap. That's really hard to bridge. Okay, <clears throat> so there are going to be a couple different terms I think that I get that might get tossed around. I want to just quickly define these for you all before we um, before we kind of get into more examples. Feel free to keep using the chat though, because I like the examples that you guys are sharing. Um, so just for you, just for for the, this evening, I'm going to define some terms so that we can all be on the same page together. Uh, I like the term game-based learning um, because to me that term focuses on the learning, but also like it, it says that the game is the learn is the tool or the experience by which the learning happens. There's also this term serious games that I think is becoming maybe a little bit more dominant in the industry uh, parlance. I don't like that because I don't, I don't know, like I've learned really serious things from games that would not be called serious. Um, so I don't, I don't really, I don't like the term serious as part of that because I think it's just, it's just limiting. I'm probably being too pedantic, but that's me. Um, educational games, I think those, those are kind of used the same way. Um, I like game-based learning because I think, again, education to me speaks to like the formal education framework and the classroom within the experience we're used to there. And I think we need to break free from that. Um, and then gamification, which is supposed to have a second quotation marker on it and doesn't, but that's okay. And for gamification, like to me, the difference between game-based learning and gamification is Gamification takes game mechanics and puts them on something else that has nothing to do with the game mechanics. Game-based learning is at its best when the game mechanics are completely aligned with the thing you need somebody to learn or do. And so, you know, that's why like your mindfulness app might have points and stuff for it, but you know, the mindfulness is not a points-based system. Um, that to me is an you know, indication of gamification. Um, there's not like a strong inherent relationship between the mechanics and the outcome. The mechanics are just a means to encouraging engagement. And that's not to say that gamification can't be effective. It can, depending on what you're using it for. Just trying to clarify some terms. Cool. Yeah. Yep. It's exactly why, exactly why um, I don't like the term serious games. As, uh, that's what Abstract Puzzle was saying there. It implies other games aren't serious. There are lots of serious games that don't fit into the serious games genre or industry. And there are lots of really silly games that like looks that don't look serious that are really, really serious in theme. So I just, yeah, I don't know. Falls flat for me. So I've said the game-based learning industry a couple times as a phrase this evening. I do want to just kind of touch on this. I don't know if this is something everyone's aware of, um, but there is like a, a I guess the people who do the, the main analysis report in this space don't describe the game-based learning industry or serious games industry as a subcomponent of the video games industry or games industry overall. They look at it as a subset of learning technology. Either way, this is kind of what comes back. So it's kind of in a boom phase right now and educational games, game-based learning, serious games, everything that falls under that umbrella is growing really, really fast. Uh, there's a lot of interest in it. There's a lot of investment. Um, so that's kind of why I think it's pertinent to talk about now, not just because everyone's, you know, having to change the way that they learn, but there are, I think, enough people and enough 
experienced practitioners and the technology is accessible enough that people can can really explore how to do this and how to use games to help people learn um, more broadly than has ever, ever been possible in the past. So that's that. Um, what are some examples? Well, you probably know some games that were designed for learning that are made for consumers. Um, there are way more than I can possibly fit on a series of slides. So I just put a couple examples on each one. Um, Coding Planets is one of my favorite mobile games. I wish they had more planets out, but you, you learn like you learn coding principles by moving a little bot around the screen. I think there are quite a few games like that that teach coding that way. Um, <clears throat> Twelve a dozen is uh, an award-winning like math game that is. They, they think they're trying to really hit that balance between something. It's play. It's a playful experience. It is a game, um, but through the gameplay and through interacting with mechanics, you are developing your knowledge um, and abilities around a specific topic. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was just agreeing with something in chat. There's a lot of good stuff in chat. Hope you guys are reading it. It's really good. I'm proud of you all. There are also, you know, tons and tons of games made for pre-K. Um, and then K through 12. So iCivics is a huge one. Um, I made a joke about the presidency earlier, but that's actually a game that I think is pretty good at teaching at least the process around it, if not necessarily like how to do it well. Uh, and that's iCivics Executive Command. They have a whole curriculum and a whole spread of different games available to teach kids civics. Um, maybe fun for adults too. And, you know, Minecraft, is just so much buzz around Minecraft being used in schools um, with the education edition, and they have lesson plans and things like that. So we don't have to go too far into this because I think we've all played some of these, or many of us have at least, but tons of games around that in that space. Um, there are also games made for and by higher education institutions, sometimes for research purposes, um, like Fold It uh, was a game, but it was a game with a research goal. Um, there are, you know, there are VR simulations where you're, you're working through medical problems, like this is one from the military first aid. Um, there's one, I have not played this, but it is freely available. It's about misinformation on, uh, on the internet and how you can fight it, but it kind of flips it around and puts you in like the role of a chief misinformation officer. It's called Breaking Harmony Square. So I think after we get off the off the Twitch stream tonight, I'm gonna go play that and see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> businesses. So Walmart, um, they have a game that they use for training. It's called Spark City. That's a screenshot on top. Um, and there are corporations and nonprofits that are using games to try to train their employees. Like the card game that came up in chat. Um, it has a really good example of the kind of uh, learning goal that might have an organization seek out a game developer to make something for that. Um, the one at the bottom is one that I was involved in where we were teaching childcare providers like how to, how to watch five babies at once. You know, like what are the things you have to do? What's the pace that you have to react to? And what kind of trouble are these babies gonna get into? Um, also, you, please keep them safe because they are children and they, you know, are people and they belong to someone else. So. Those, you know, if, if a company, if a business organization has a specific like training goal that they need people to be able to achieve, games are one way that that's being done. 
Um, and then healthcare, uh, there's one, I think this is saving lives is a game. Like there's a C, it's like a CPR simulator. Uh, I think it's made by filament. They're out of Wisconsin. Um, and then this is just a screenshot of a patient who's using, um, a VR application that was designed for a different purpose, but for rehabilitation. So lots of healthcare applications as well. Basically there's a ton of stuff. Um, where do you start? <laughs> so there's all these different things you can do with games if you're going to apply them to a learning goal. But if you have this goal, how do you start and like, what's your first step? What do you do? Um, and I think if you don't do this first step well, then you're going to you're going to quickly go down on the wrong path. And it can be difficult to correct without feeling like you're throwing everything out. Um, and I think then if you can do this well, it's going to make the rest of your process easier, or at least it's going to give you a clear, a clear path for where you need to experiment and iterate next. And this first step um, is called, I'm calling it translating the do. So um, the do is not your hair. The do is the action, the thing that you need learners to be able to do. So your learners, your players, whoever your end users are, you need to figure out what they need to do, what observable action you want them to be able to do with the thing they are learning. And this is where I think that paradigm shift that I was talking about, learning as knowing, um, you know, what do people need to know? What are the standards we're gonna teach you? What are we gonna test people on? Like we're used to thinking of learning as something about knowing, but when you're trying to create something interactive, that's, that's an action, that's a verb, that's a do. And so if you really want your interactive experience to be tied to what you need people to learn, you have to be able to make that learning visible and tactile and something you can see affected in the world. And that's one of the trickiest things I think to do is that paradigm shift. But if you can do that successfully, it really narrows down your focus from, I need to teach a game about addition to I need to teach a game about adding double-digit numbers to single-digit numbers. And I know how to do that because I'm going to do this. So, you know, we talk, I think whenever you're talking about design, the topic of constraints comes up and how constraints can be helpful. This is a way of giving yourself some constraints so that you don't have to take like a huge topic area and make a game that might have something to do with something in there. You make it specific so that you can translate that learning goal into mechanics that makes sense. Cool. All right. So, <clears throat> You start with what people need to know, you try to translate that into what people need to do with it, and then that becomes it that becomes easier to then convert into game mechanics. Let's maybe see what that looks like a little bit. Um, we're gonna work an example, and we're gonna try to take a knowledge-oriented like quiz question and turn it into a game idea. And at some point, I will ask for your help. We'll see how we do. Okay, so first example here that I'm gonna start out is just like a quiz. This is just like your knowledge-oriented quiz question you're gonna get. And it's funny because it has to do with information security. <laughs> so that was pretty fun that that came up earlier. Um, I'm sure that everyone has taken quizzes like this. It doesn't have to do, you know, whether you've taken it for an IT security e-learning course or you've taken a different quiz. Everyone's taken these multiple choice quiz questions before, right? It's just, what do you know about this? Can you answer this question? Um, and it's not very, I don't know, depending on how well the answers are written, then it can be fun, I guess. Um, here's, you know, basically, basically, 
to ask you the question, what's the following, you know, which of the following is the strongest password? So it's just asking you to identify something. Um, and that's how I would describe the do of this question. Like, it's just asking you to identify a strong password. What we really want people to do is we want people to make a strong password. It's a little bit different. <laughs> the answer is always C. <laughs> we'll see. I wonder if you will disagree with that here. Um, it is definitely not A. So right, this quiz question, the action, the do, is identify the strongest password. But again, the, the thing that we actually need people to, to do is create a strong password, is to make one, is to type one in. So let's see what happens if we translate things back and forth a little bit. Um, first, keeping that in mind, you want to show a little game. So someone, um, someone took that goal and then made a game around it. And the game is, um, this is just a game called Password Blaster. So I'm going to open it up. Okay. I'm going to click start. The sound might be loud, so I don't know if that's going to come through on the stream or not, but I'll try to mute it. Well, let's... Yeah. Okay, it's loud. All right, so this is the game Password Blaster. Uh, keeping in mind our previous quiz question, the do was identify a strong password. Um, I'm going to play this game, and then we'll come back and ask ourselves what the do was. Like, what was the action that we were actually, you know, actually being asked to engage with? So here is our, here are our rules and our context. Um, we're gonna shoot passwords. Here is what a good password needs to have. Um, no birth dates and stuff. All right, go. We've got some numbers. We've got some hackers, I guess. Um, 50 passwords are gonna come across the screen. So let's see. User 999, that's too many nines. I'm gonna shoot that, okay. I have 95 points. This. To me, it looks like a bad password because I would never remember that. Oh, okay, but it is considered strong. However, I would never remember that, so that's not correct. Okay, here we go. Boom, 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 boom. All right, apparently these are strong passwords. That one's not. That's also strong. Again, I would never remember that. Project Manager Krista. So, hmm, drows, drows at SAP. I would imagine drows would use SAP. Sure, why not? Um, so you guys are getting the idea. We've got, oh, we've got passwords. We've got points. Ultimately, the thing that we're still doing, though, is we are identifying, um, we're identifying passwords again. <laughs> I don't know about the hacker game index. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at the stream again. I'm also wondering, like, okay, I don't think. Yeah, okay, I don't think they're asking me to say spoon. No, but I did. So there you go. Draw this password spelled backwards. Yeah, it totally is. That's hilarious. I just thought about draw because you know elves. Um, yeah, I know, right? Is that's a really good question. Um, it, so what uh, Owen Rat was just asking is, how old is this? Even WoW tells you when you have a bad password. Sometimes training isn't the answer. You just need a technical solution and your problem is solved. Like, why rely on users who are always going to have a mistake um, if, uh, if you can just solve this technically? Um, anyway, I'm going to exit this. So 
the point though, I didn't want to necessarily bring this up because, um, how do I get back to where I was? There. Um, the reason I brought that one up is because it had the same, um, it had the same like, goal behavior as the first one. So the first one, this, this quiz question, identify the strong passwords. This one, same thing, identify the strong passwords. The mechanics around shooting and clicking have nothing to do with entering a password. Um, <laughs> my husband just, just said, hey, that game is teaching you to use terrible passwords. I know, it drives me crazy. But the point wasn't that it was a good game or that the content was accurate or even that you'd wanna have that game as part of your training program because why? You wouldn't, you'd just have your application require certain characteristics and the passwords. The point that I wanted to bring home is the do in this, in this game was the exact same thing as the do in this game. It's identify a password. So that word identify, it's the same. And to me, that means the game mechanics in this password blaster game around clicking and shooting, they're not, a, they're not aligned with the thing we need people to do. Cool. Okay. So how do you, you know, what does it look like when you actually do align the mechanics with the do, with the, with the performance, with the behavior that you need from people? Uh, this is an example. It's not a sexy example. It's pretty ugly, but it's an example of something that aligns mechanics and um, and the the desired outcome of the learning. So, what are we what have we done so far? We want people to know how to make a good password. We want them to actually make a good password. Um, here, in this example that I kind of just sketched up, um, it's text entry. So the requirements around what a good password is are built into the program and you just say, okay, type in three strong passwords. And when you've got it, you got it, you're good. Again, I don't know why you'd make this part of your training program, but the point being is here, if we want people to make a strong password, the mechanic is text entry and they have to make a strong password. So we will align the mechanics of the system of the game with what we want people to do. And if you want to, you can look up the rules. Um, so that's, that's how, what this looks like if we're actually aligning behavior and the mechanics of the game. Um, that doesn't really seem fun though. So this isn't the sexiest example I know, um, but conceptually, this is what we want to get towards. We want to get towards the alignment. If you want to make a game out of it though, this is not going to get there. So this isn't really fun. It doesn't have an interesting context. It doesn't have an interesting challenge. Um, and so it wouldn't necessarily be something that people want to play. Um, it's just it's just mechanics. It's not necessarily a game. So what do you add on to that uh, context and challenge is what comes next. So the question I guess I would have for everybody, and this is going to be a little weird, I think, to do on Twitch because there's a little bit of a delay and this is kind of brainstorming. It's a little bit hard to do this kind of abstract thing in this way. Um, but I'm curious if anyone, you know, if you want to bend your brains around this for a moment and see if you can think of something, a game context, a game challenge, a setting, a story that takes these mechanics that we've laid out. There's some text entry, there's some password rules, the things that we want people to do. What kind of context and challenge and story might we add to this to have an idea for something that someone would wanna play? If only for 10 minutes or five minutes, how do we make that into something interesting? So if you have ideas, 
um, go ahead and toss that in there in the chat. Uh, I have some ideas that I'll share in a little bit, but I don't necessarily want to do that now because I don't want to spoil it for you. I want your ideas. Um, yeah, have someone try to guess a password. I like that. Maybe add multiplayer to it, like competitive password making. I love that. Yeah, that's exactly where my mind was going is like matchups or something like that. Like what if you had a password and then someone sitting across from you had to try to hack it? Um, Passwords and token. Oh, that's really good. Social engineering simulator, where you play the role of someone actually trying to gain access. That would be really, really cool. I wouldn't be surprised if someone's already done that. Um, but you could do a really fun story around that too. Like, it wouldn't have to. It wouldn't have to be something so dry. It would actually like. You would really, I think, immerse people in it with a good story and good characters and stuff like that. Um, maybe something where they have to build strong passwords to protect a puppy. Yeah, I'd play anything with a puppy in it, so I'm sold on that. Yeah, uh, each password is a wall. Walk around looking for stuff um, written on a sticky note. Yep, exactly. So like maybe you're, I don't know, you're Jason Bourne or whatever, and you're sneaking around someone's place and trying to hack in. Um, yeah, exactly. So you guys are coming up with some really interesting um, <laughs> put a puppy in there also. I'm not sure where. Uh, right. So I'm seeing both elements that we need to, to add to our game idea and to actually start working in a direction that could be fun to play. One of them is context. So the contextual elements we have kind of in the answers you guys are giving are competition. You have two head to head. Um, kind of a simulator where you're playing the role of someone to gain access. Like that means that you're gaining access to to a business, like a fictional business or a fictional office or um, maybe a journalist's, you know, a journalist's laptop or something like that. There's some kind of story. And one element of that story is the context, the place where this, this um, hacking is taking place. Uh, I'm also seeing, um, <laughs> can you pet the dog in the password creation simulator? Uh, yes. Um, there's also challenge, right? So the challenge elements I'm seeing and what you guys have suggested are, you know, protect the puppy, get into the system, gain access, beat the other person if you're doing something competitive, um, you know, signify what characteristics each password has, uh, maybe try to figure out exactly what the, what characteristics are where, almost like imagining maybe almost like a, it would be like a weird, um, battleship game. I'm not sure if that really works, but it'd be interesting. Um, so we're getting kind of both elements here. The context, something that kind of like makes the learner think about the type of situations where this would come up in real life and a challenge that's actually fun to, to work with and fun to play with. Those are the things that you need. But all the things that you guys suggested, um, those are all aligned with that initial mechanic that we talked about, right? Like entering a password, creating a password, not just identifying it, but taking it that one extra step and making sure that the, the core mechanic of your game is aligned with the thing that you need people to do in real life. And if you can get that magic connection there, that's the, that's the base of your bridge. And you can bridge that chasm from something that's just play to something that's also learning or something that's just learning and is also play. I think that if you don't have that that piece, then your bridge won't hold up. But if you do, 
you're off to a good start. Okay. So, um, I think I owe you guys at least one other dog. I'll just leave this up on, on screen for a while. I want to know if you guys have any questions. Um, bits of entropy calculator and play around with different combinations to see how cryptographically safe the password is. That sounds really cool. Okay, I don't, I wasn't even making that up. I actually really want to do that. I don't know why. It sounds fun. It's a password simulation making game and I think it, I want to play it. So make it or something so we can play it. So I will have one more request for my husband to bring in another dog and uh, then we will call it a night. Um, like, like Martin said, I think earlier on, uh, I am one of the hosts on the Nice Games Club podcast and our 200th episode comes up tomorrow. It's a special episode and Mark did a whole lot of work editing it. Uh, and there's some cool announcements on the episode as well. So uh, check that out. Um, you can find me on Twitter and you can tweet at me. I might see it, I might not. Um, I'm on Discord and the MSP Game Dev Slack. Uh, and I'm here, if you ever see the word, you know, the name Nosepoke pop up, that is me. Which dog will it be this? Oh, it's Pixel. It's the other dog, different dog. Pixel, Pixel, hi. That's Pixel. Oh, nope, that's Pixel. There we go. Second dog. That's our show. Check out our newly revamped website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. And of course, to see the video of this presentation if you're interested. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter, at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about Game Dev Resources and the Video Game Accessibility Awards. You can also email us, contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app, tell your friends about your favorite episodes, join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club Discord, and now we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to... Play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.